0: You're listening to Less Stress in Life with hosts Deb Timmerman and Barb Fletcher. We believe life with less stress and more energy is possible with the right tools, strategies, and knowledge. So we bring you real conversations around the stress of relationships, money, and the daily hassles of life with guests that will inspire, challenge, entertain, and motivate you to take action. Hi, this is Deb Timmerman.
1: And I'm Barb Fletcher, and we're here today with Sarah-Jane Herbolt, who is the founder of Rising, Rising Resilient. With more than a decade of work in the school system supporting students, educators, and parents, the impact of trauma became a familiar and frequent visitor. She quickly realized that in order to have a greater impact on the collective, we must first start with ourselves. This drives her passion for promoting the well-being of others and creating opportunities to build upon resilience. Through coaching and professional development, she strives to create environments where individuals can be more curious, compassionate, and resilient beings. Her book, Don't Just Survive, Thrive, released on March the 2, 2nd, 2021 and offers sustainable options beyond burnout through a collection of practices. Originally from the snowy mountains of Wyoming, she made her way to West Michigan and shares life with her partner and their three greatest teachers, their children. Mm -hmm. Welcome, Sarah Jane.
2: For having me. I'm so grateful to be here
0: with you both. So that was the fancy introduction tell
2: us about yourself in real terms in real terms right now i'm a tired mama (laughs) no um i think you know my i am uh someone who you know started my career in education and that's really rooted in this lifelong um habit i've had of just being very curious and very eager to learn and share what i'm learning with other people so that took me down a path of you know starting my career in education and that career allowed for me to fill a variety of roles, everything from substitute teacher and paraprofessional to classroom teacher and a district coordinator, where I had the privilege to mentor other teachers, provide professional development, and work alongside students pre-K through 12th grade. So I feel like in the time of my career, I covered a lot of ground and had a lot of different moments of seeing how education was playing out and I think uh, you know at the uh, in the middle of all of that I also became um, a mother to um, to my three children all of whom came to me through adoption and um, and again that that curiosity was a, a key um, component to how I was showing up in my role as a parent um, trying to better understand my children better understand their needs um, what direction we need to be moving in as a family and so that that led to us making some pretty significant changes as a as a family uh, and brought us to a completely new state and community and um, place that we weren't necessarily quite familiar with before landing here. So yeah, I, I think the, the interesting piece I'll just touch on real quickly that when I was pursuing and digging deeper for answers um, regarding things that were coming up in my role as a parent, I started to see the the crossover and how applicable they were to what I was doing in my professional role, right? So what was supportive and, and informational that, uh, that provided greater understanding and context in my personal life also started becoming really pivotal and transformative in my professional life. Uh, and so I just started to ask this question of like, I can't, you know, I can't be the only person who's dealing with this personally and professionally. And there is so much overlap here. It's worth acknowledging the integration and interconnectedness of these things and how they um, have an impact, not just on me, but on my kids, my students, my colleagues. And so that's really what started to shift and pivot um, the direction that I started focusing on with with my career and even my personal life. So as you describe that being someone with a
0: trauma informed background, I'm kind of filling in the pieces here Mm -hmm. that you're speaking about the life that your children had before you became their mother, how traumatic that was and what the consequences or sequelae that happened once they came to your family and how that showed up for them in school. Is that correct?
2: Yes. And even for myself, right? I think for, for me personally, as an individual, I had this notion that trauma is something that, uh, you know, people who are associated with military experience and they come back from war having PTSD Or trauma is something that we read about in, you know, know, there's a book that was very popular when I um, had just started out my teaching career and it had to do with the horrific circumstances a boy had experienced and being locked in closet and drinking chemicals, Mm. right? And I thought, oh, that's not me. So what I've gone through surely cannot be trauma. Uh, and even to a certain extent, my kids, right? Like their stories didn't have certain components. So I thought, well, trauma can't be something they've experienced. This is, this is not necessarily that because the understanding of trauma was still quite young, right? When and I'm just talking like 10, 12 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, so as time started to carry on, I just kept thinking like, yes, there's grief here. And yes, there's pain and loss, but it feels deeper. And and so just digging and digging and yes, going to trainings and listening to other experts in the field and learning this information about how to better approach my kids. I also started to realize like, oh, I kind of need to approach some of that for myself as well in that very connective, compassionate uh, way that builds a sense of empowerment and gives back agency. And then all of that started to transfer again into the classroom, right? Realizing like, if I'm advocating for my kids and I'm going to their teachers again and again and again, saying, hey, this this particular situation might come across as defiance and disrespect. Really, it's an overwhelm of emotion and stress response that is then creating this perception for him in the classroom. So can we like talk through how to maybe back up a few steps and provide support? And oftentimes in those conversations, I sat across from adults who very similar to me had no awareness or understanding Mm of how this is, you know, how this manifests in the world around us, but, but more importantly, how it manifests within ourselves and how then we talked about this, you know, if, if we aren't acknowledging what's happening within ourselves, we can't really be conscious about how we're responding to what's going on around us if we're not even naming or building awareness of it, right? You can put a pause there, but if you don't have awareness of it, it's not going to really do you much good, right? So
0: in your book, you break it down into three sections. And the first part of the book is about the state of education Mm -hmm. today. Yeah, Share with us a little bit about your research and findings. I know you did a lot of research on uh, digging, but you also have personal experience for how a little bit how that works in the classroom. Can you share that with our listeners?
2: Yeah. So, uh, you know, there was a point in my career, I think I was in my third or fourth year. And I like to start here just to give an example of like how quickly the world of education can change, but so much of it stays the same. So it was in my third or fourth year of my career. And I had a student who had just recently, um, You know, arrived in our community from Mexico and did not speak English and I remember feeling such a sense of wanting to give him great um, purpose and uh, and to an extent like an equitable education right I wanted him to be able to access the same things. And going to my principal at the time and asking her what I should do. And she's like, I don't really know. And I, you know, I hadn't even been out of college five years. And already people were just like, we're not really sure how to approach this. We're not familiar with this. Right. So early on in my career, I recognized like, just because I have the degree doesn't necessarily mean I have all of the skills that I need to be able to move through this. It's go- needs are going to continually be presenting themselves. So fast forward, I had been teaching for ten years. We made this this significant move for our family. My my partner is also an educator, and we went from a rural district to an urban district, and very quickly became aware of, uh, you know, the similarities and the differences. And I think given the move we made, right, we went through a lot of change. And so a lot of our stress was activated. A lot of our circumstances were new and unfamiliar. But I was walking into schools where classrooms are overcrowded. Teachers are still underpaid. The work demand is not letting up. If anything, they're being asked to do more and more and more. It's no longer just focus on the the content academics. We're having to show up as counselors and social workers and nutritional therapists and hairdressers and wearing so many hats and being asked to do so many things without necessarily receiving more hours in the day or more support or more money, right? Uh, And... I saw firsthand what this expectation did to me as an, as a professional, right? I've really prided myself on being a good educator and having strong relationships with my students and offering engaging lessons. And as my family grew and our needs shifted and changed, I realized I had to start reconciling Either neglecting my family or neglecting my career because I couldn't be all things to all people, and that doesn't sit well. That's not a really comfortable mm. feeling, right? To acknowledge that you're going to have to let people down and you're going to have to fall short in order to do something in another area, uh, and. You know because my partner is an educator I would ask similar things of him and he was feeling similarly right he would work you know leave our home before seven in the morning come home around six at night work several hours after dinner multiple hours on the weekend and so this is you know common within our home so very common amongst everyone else in the profession as well And I think for me, I started to see with the question of why is this and what can change? um, Just started digging into the, you know, getting really curious and digging into the research of we have fewer and fewer teachers signing up for teacher ed programs because it's not really a career that's valued anymore. It's low paying. It's high stress, right? And and I can say firsthand, again, like when my kids talk about what they wanna be when they grow up and one of my children says a teacher, part of me kind of like, oh no, steer away from that. Because, you know, again, the demands of the job have changed, but not necessarily the support and how to do the work. Uh, so we so lower numbers of teacher enrollment. We also, you know, when I first started my career, it was considered uh, this this prideful moment if you can make it past 10 years in your career, right? And slowly that number ticked down. If you got past seven, you were in it for the long haul. If you got past five, you were in it for the long haul. And now we know from research and studies, right, that we have teacher turnover rates that are so enormous. We have 50% of teachers leaving within the first five years of their career. And that number goes up and causes for even more teachers to leave within the first three years, if they're working in high stress urban environments where the demands and the needs are even more intense, right? So what happens when we have this turnover? We don't necessarily have that experienced wisdom leading. We have people just constantly treading water to stay afloat leading the pack. And also, you know, stress levels are really high uh, among educators. And when we think about emotions being contagious, right, our joy is contagious, our stress is contagious. And so if we have stressed out professionals who have not experienced longevity or balance within the career, surrounded by more stressed out professionals, it just starts to become this breeding ground for for chronic stress and vicarious trauma and burnout and really, really unhappy people working with our kiddos. And that's not necessarily the reason anyone goes into the career of education, right? They go into it wanting to make a difference, to have an impact, to help the the little people in our communities. Uh, So the why for why they start this job is often not the reason why they walk away from the job, right, they walk away because of the demands and stress, and that they just, you know, they feel like they're on this endless hamster wheel, so.
0: <laughs> this is a great place to segue into the next part of your book, which is where you talk about and educate the general public. Like the first part of the, the book, I think chapter one is definitely more education-based, but chapter two, or, or the second part is really, Generic education for everyone about adverse childhood experiences,
2: yes. the impact
0: of childhood trauma on the developing brain, and what happens when those kids come to the classroom and we have burned out teachers who are trying to meet those needs. So, can you share just briefly a little bit about that piece and what you'd like that takeaway message about that middle section of your book to
2: be? Yeah. You know, it it's the part two is titled "The Ripple Effects," and I think about this a lot because how we show up has impact, right? And so if we uh, if if our intention is to uh, offer joy and happiness, right, that that ripple effects out to the people around us. The same thing, even if our intention is not to have our stress and our um, our our overwhelm and our unhappiness impact those around us? It does because it it impacts us first, right? Physically as well as mentally and emotionally. Uh, And I think for a long time in the conversations that I've had and the people that I've sat across from, there started to be this very common narrative being told of like, well, it's gotta be me. Something's wrong with me that I can't figure out how to work 70 hours a week and be happy or to get everything done. Right. And so the common narrative was, it's, it's a defect within me as a human being, when really it's not necessarily that you're broken as a human being, it's that the, the way in which we're experiencing the stress of our job is having an impact. And so acknowledging and naming that burnout is even a possibility for doing a job that leads to you being a caregiver, a nurturer of other human beings, And, you know, that's not necessarily a badge of honor we want to wear. Like, yeah, I had to leave my job because I got burned out. So for me, it started with like, okay, if worst case scenario is I have an adult who's experiencing vicarious trauma, compassion, fatigue, and burnout, I want to back up and I want to figure out what's coming before that, right? And, And also what's in control for them as a human to focus on because we can't change the state of education unless we go into policy right and we can't necessarily change um, what our kids are walking into the classroom with so backing up and focusing on what is in our control and for me that was really uh, raising awareness and deepening my learning of like you know, before vicarious trauma, compassion, fatigue, and burnout, we start experiencing stress. And if we ignore our stress and pretend like it's not impacting us, it eventually turns into chronic stress. And that chronic stress then starts impacting our whole being. And that starts to impact the stories and the narratives we tell ourselves and how we interact with the people around us family members, colleagues, students. And then that starts to impact how we even respond to their stress and what they're bringing to us. So that's the ripple effect. So, trying to pull it all the way back to that very first state of, you know, I didn't have, uh, you know, family or educators growing up who said, here's how to deal with your stress in a way that allows for you to recover and repair from it so it doesn't keep impacting you in a negative way. I'm assuming that's typical for others as well, right? <laughs> so this is really the conversation that yeah. I'm hoping educators and just any human in oh. general, right? I really believe like, yes, part one is for educators, but part two and three is really general population conversation for everyone. We all experience stress. So how are we then going to shift and move from the acknowledgement of what, stress we're experiencing. So
0: Sarah, while you were still working as an educator, you began to do trauma-informed yoga practices. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. So can you share what role that played in helping you Mm. manage your stress and what what do you do or what would you say to educators or people who want to get started? How do they get started in a practice mm. and do something different so that they can uh, feel in control and manage this mm. in a healthy way?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. So I, believe in transparency, so I'll share, you know, when I when I first picked up the practice of yoga, it was very much for like, I'm gonna do this thing so that I can bring it into my classroom and into my home and help all the people that I spend time with. It was not focused on me at all. So I, you know, I started uh, a yoga practice very, very early in my my career and then later on, again, uh, pursued a trauma informed training and the integration of how, you know, I, I had a lot of knowledge of trauma that really stayed within my head knowledge. I didn't necessarily um, experience it in a way where it was integrated throughout my whole body. But even then it was like, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to do this so that I can help the people that I'm spending time with. I'm not really focusing on um, how it would impact me. And very quickly, I started to recognize that even with the, best of intentions and the deepest hopes to offer this to people that I've really loved and cared about, uh, that its biggest impact would come after I started to let myself Mm -hmm. saturate in this work, right? Uh, And so for me, it really started almost reintroducing me to myself and remembering what it feels like to breathe in a certain way or to move my body in a certain way because I'm choosing to, not because I'm reacting, not because I'm being forced to respond in a very you know, uh, contained manner, so to speak. Uh, and you know, it's, it was funny because I've had this lifelong value of curiosity but I often was the least curious at noticing what was going on with myself. So I think the greatest impact was that I started paying attention to what was happening within me and for me and around me and to me. And then that allowed for me to to create this kind of space and response with my family and with my students to let them start to notice and get curious and, like, oh, what, what does it feel like right now when we're really overwhelmed and stressed? Instead of just like bearing down and doing it, to like say that out loud and maybe even shake or, you know, try to breathe differently. Like, what does that feel like? And I didn't always have the perfect answer for them, right? But I, I was able to give them the space so that they could start figuring out what felt best for them, rather than me trying to be the problem solver for them. Um, and when there's space for them to get curious, right? then Then they can do the good important work of asking, their self the question of what they need or how they want to respond or how they want to move forward. So, you know, for someone who loves to care for others and take care of them, it really started to lift um, this responsibility in a way of like, I, I have to be the, the educator, the caretaker, the nurturer. And really I got to just be a witness to them, Becoming more aware of whatever was presenting for themselves.
0: It's so beautiful what happens when we put our own oxygen mask on first. If we could just do that. And if you take nothing else from Sarah Jean's wonderful words of wisdom today Mm -hmm. and do that one thing, you will be tremendously impacted. Yes.
2: And I had heard all of that before, right? Like put your oxygen mask on before you put everybody else's on. And in some internal narrative, I just thought like, that I don't need to do that. I can keep going. I can keep going. I can keep going, right? And And really then it took for me perhaps reaching this point of just exhaustion and stress, you know, a lot of things that I was trying to offer and prevent other people from experiencing, I had to start experiencing to understand the full significance and brevity of it. Funny Barbara
0: and I had that conversation earlier. Yeah.
1: And just to jump in that, you know, we as carers, um, have for a very long time thought that that was the highest calling.
2: Yes.
1: And, and that it could never be a stress response. Yes. And instead, now we understand that that care and overcare is in fact, not nearly as healthy as we thought it was, you know, we were always more comfortable with understanding what Fight or flight look like, mm-hmm. um, but many of us, you know, in in the fields that you know you you speak to, have um, you know victim is is a strong word, but we've just it we've fallen into that overcare.
2: Yes, absolutely, and that's also what's amplified in those careers, right? Like. This is, this is a narrative that I think gets promoted and ends up mm-hmm. feeding that unhealthy mentality, right? The teacher who's a good teacher is the one who's on every committee and shows up early and stays, mm-hmm. early and comes in on weekends and
1: mm-hmm.
2: grades papers at her son's orchestra concert and you know brings in other people into the home. And those are admirable, right? And it demonstrates qualities of someone working hard and being really dedicated. But for a long time, that's the value I placed on because that's how I saw it. And then slowly I started to recognize like, oh, so what are they saying no to? And who are they saying no to? And what's being sacrificed in order for them to show up in this way? Um, and that's what that's I- different for every human, right? But for a long time the perception was like that's what's held up that's what a highly effective teacher looks like is someone who has no life beyond teaching
1: i absolutely adore that your generation um has said that's not going to work anymore because the boomers um you know we we didn't question it we just held on to it and mm. and kept walking through it and and Ultimately, many people, as they age forward, um, are experiencing the consequences mm-hmm. of that choice. And so, for people like you to say there's got to be a better
2: way, I'm I'm thrilled. Mm. Yeah, I I I think you know. I don't want to negate the hardship of the pandemic and the disruption that it caused for so many and Mm -hmm. how so many, even a year later, are still experiencing deep loss and extreme grief. But I, you know, I found myself early on wondering if this wasn't somewhat a little of what we all needed was something to just force us to slow down to stay home, (laughs) to pay attention to ourselves, Mm -hmm. right? Like to not numb out by constant busyness or constant distraction. Um, And, you know, that's not necessarily always going to bring up really comfortable, warm, fuzzy feelings, Mm -hmm. especially if it's something we're unfamiliar with. But I think deep down, it's something that so many of us are craving and longing for, uh, and and so you know I think as with all things in life, there is loss and beauty that can coexist, and in that you know some things remain the same, and some things can change significantly, uh, and I think. Yeah, I, I I think that in a way it was um, it could be viewed as this invitation of like how could you do the work in a different way? How could you move through your day that feels a little slower or prioritizes more connection or rhythms that allow for you to connect to nature to. Uh, the people you're living with in more meaningful ways. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm still curious of like, what practices are we going to carry forward from now? My kids are going to look back on this as being a really significant time in their life. And I don't want them to say it was without hardship, but what practices from this time will my kids still be practicing present day when they recall Mm -hmm. this, this moment and will they be ones that help sustain them?
0: Wow, that's a that's beautiful. And as we wrap up this podcast, we could talk to you forever, Sarah Jane. <laughs> um, we're trying to keep these in a digestible time period. It does beg to point out that as we open up, we get to make those choices about how we want our future to be, yes. and get to explore that. And if you didn't love how things were this is a great time to look at doing things differently. And Sarah's book would be a wonderful read to help you sort of digest through that. So Sarah, how do they find you? Where do they get your book?
2: Mm, Yeah, great questions. Uh, So I have my website, risingresilient.org and that gives a little overview of different services I provide, a little bit about the book as well and then on there actually is information about where the book can be ordered it's accessible wherever books are sold uh, so whether that's your favorite local bookstore or barnes noble or amazon uh, and then yeah just ways to interact i'm also on instagram at rising so
0: Thank you so much for joining us today. We wish you all the success uh, in the world with your book you. and so glad the world is getting to hear your voice and your experience mm-hmm. and hopefully be able to make different and better decisions as yeah. they, use their lifestyle
2: going forward. Thank you.
1: Yes. Thank you, Sarah Jane. And know that your children are blessed to have you in their life.
2: Awesome. Thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. And I appreciate the time you've offered me and your willingness to expand the conversation on how we can make those choices to move forward differently. I think that's a really empowering place to invite people into. So thank you both for the work you're doing. Less Stress in
0: Life is possible. If you're new to this kind of thinking and would like to explore what's possible for you, we'd love to connect. You can reach us through our website at lessstressinlife.com. That's lessstressinlife.com.